Praise the Lord. The only thing we were missing was Amen. Amen. Good job. You're all allowed to stay in church now. Yay, church. Um, boy, I had a number of things going through my mind during that. I'm going to have to pray that the Lord keeps my ADD in check this morning. What's that? You already prayed for that? Thank you so much. Which church are you going to next week, Judy? <laughs> um, I don't know. Did any of you ever see that? Um, if you're a sci-fi fan, maybe you don't like Tom Cruise, but uh, Edge of Tomorrow. The day keeps repeating and repeating, and there's a great line where... What's that? Like Groundhog Day. Like Groundhog Day. But uh, who's the guy? He's passed away now, the actor that plays the drill sergeant. says, don't worry, sir. He can't understand. He's so confused. Everything keeps going on. And I says, we'll get you sorted out, sir. Ha, ha, ha. I just thought, that's really what it's like on this planet, isn't it? We need an angel to come to us who won't be baloneying us and saying, we'll get you sorted out. Because I ain't going to sort it out on this side of glory. I'm going to have to sort it out on the other side, right? And all of the stuff that we go, what is going on? Why that? Uh, it'll make sense if we believe what God says. Some of you are not convinced. I can tell by how mad I just made you. I'm kidding. Acts chapter 16, if you would turn there. Um, while you're turning, if you have a Bible, I'm not putting the whole thing on screen. I'm going to read it to you this morning. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read it to you uh, with commentary. And that's where I may get in trouble. So I'm keeping an eye on my wife who will go, uh-uh, enough. <laughs> and before we do that, let me just say, um, I remember a pastor uh, being quoted by a guy who spiritually mentored me. I've mentioned Frank Frost, who was ordained at 70 years of age. He was a lay preacher, had three kids, all went into full-time ministry, and I had the privilege of having him disciple me. And I'll, I remember him talking about an earlier pastor, Clow. Pastor Clow was a pastor at First Baptist Church in Flushing, New York. No, that's not a joke. It's a real place and uh, where I went to church. And he said one morning, I'm a proud pastor this morning, which was like a death sentence to say something like that. But what he meant was all of his leaders were out preaching in other churches that morning. Isn't that cool? In other words, they're in demand, and our other pastors are out preaching in other churches this morning. So I don't know where they're working next week, but uh, this week they are preaching one in Fishkill, which is my mom's home church, and Brother Dennis went across the river also. They're all going across the river. I hope not prematurely. Shall we gather at the river? Anyway, but that's kind of a, kind of a neat thing to know your staff are in demand. Better treat them nice. Anyway. Acts chapter 16, everyone, and if you have your Bible open, chapter 16, if it's, if, I don't know, we have any in the pews anymore? I don't know if we do. We should. We probably should, except for the COVID drama changed everything. What's that? We don't have pews either. Thank you for sharing. It's going to be a rough morning. Okay. So on that note, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Maybe I better. <laughs> oh, Lord, 
Thank you that you have a sense of humor. And when we look at ourselves, we know you have a sense of humor. But we also want to thank you, God, that you have not deviated from your holiness. You haven't changed your mind because human beings have been in a bad place. And in the days in which we live, things seem to be getting into a worse place. But we're reminded, even as we worship this morning, we gathered uh, singing and giving you praise and being reminded of Scripture. You are sovereign. You're good. You know what you're doing. And one day, it'll be sorted out. So, Lord, we cast ourselves upon you and your mercy. We want to thank you today that your grace does abound. Your grace abounds. And uh, many of us sitting in these seats today recognize that your grace has abounded to us in various, various ways. And so, Lord, today I pray that each one that is here, that perhaps something from your spirit from your word, will be used by your spirit, dropped into the soul of those who are listening, who are wondering, maybe today, is, it, is this all there is? Do I just go through the motion? Why am I here? Whatever it might be, God, your grace abounds if we're looking for it. Pray for help. Pray for the help of your Holy Spirit in unpacking your word and bringing some light into what happened in this story and what happened in the various lives that were impacted, which surely represent almost everybody in this room. In the name of Jesus, we pray for your illumination, your help, and especially that you would assist your servant because of his limitations. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, we're in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, and it is a missionary journey, the second of Paul this time as he's traveling with Silas and Luke, the writer, and others, Timothy, we think. And we come to this portion in Acts 16, starting in the 13th verse. Kind of an odd place to start. Don't look at the screen because it's not up there. Just look at me. Yikes. Anyway, people said to me this morning, oh, I like that shirt. And I said, I have to do something, you know, to help myself out a little. I even got a haircut for you. And uh, this shirt has meaning, and it relates to the story that we're about to read, and I challenged my worship team to discover why I'm wearing this shirt today. So here we go. In chapter 16, starting in the 13th verse, it says this. They had come to the town of Philippi, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, because there often was, especially if there wasn't a synagogue established yet. People would gather at the river, they'd wash clothes, etc., and Jewish ladies would gather and others to pray. And so they were right. There was a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a woman named Lydia from a city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Well, Philippi, first of all, you need to know, was a Roman colony. It was named after the father of uh, Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedonia. 
and it was a site of warfare during Mark Anthony's time and all of that, lots of history there. But it's a Roman colony, which is pretty important. That means they lived by Roman law and had Roman leaders in place. But there was also a lot of commerce, and here was this wonderful entrepreneur, this lady named Lydia, who is a worshiper of God, meaning she was attracted to what she learned from Jews about the living God, the God of the Bible, and was hungry for that and open to it, but had not taken the formal step yet of becoming a proselyte. That is a convert specifically. And if you were male, you know what that meant to become a Jewish convert. And she had not done that yet. She had not become one, but she was interested in the God of the Bible. And she's a God-fearer, but she's also a sales lady. She runs a business. She's kind of a high-end business, as a matter of fact, because the very word, it's interesting, the word was coined just for this. The, the words that you read, if you have your Bible open, a seller of purple fabrics is all one word, a coined word that was meant to describe those who deal with an expensive dye system and sell the products that are dyed. In other words, people knew those who came from Thyatira were high-end business uh, cloth sellers, right? Dyed cloth, that kind of a thing. So now I'm giving you a hint. Now I'm not telling you anything else. You try to figure that out. Okay. She was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon She strongly urged. She insisted, we would say. Insisted. Stay in my house. Because, let's face it, back then, we didn't have these. We didn't have buildings like this. We didn't have places to meet. The church met in homes, and people of means... They saw it as their duty right away to open their homes and their resources for the sake of the church. That was normal. And so that's what happened. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. She has her own title as well, Pythos, from which we get the python serpent, snake, and it refers to a guardian of the Delphic Oracle. If you've read anything about the ancient world, the Delphic Oreo, and also Oreo, not Oreo, Oracle. Oreos are different. You twist them and you lick all the stuff out. But this is the Oracle. People would come under, or a, a mystic, or a seer, a medium, would come under the influence of a spirit and speak and give prophecies or tell you whether you're going to win your battle or not. Uh, nobody does anything like that anymore, <laughs> except Madame Voodoo down at the corner. You know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, the business still exists. And if it has anything to do with the spiritual wor world, there is a spirit behind it. And this girl was called that, uh, named after this pythos, having a spirit of divination. She is, from our perspective, she would be considered off her rocker. Odd, she's um, kind of disenfranchised, been bought as a slave girl. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but you're dealing with human trafficking. That's not anything that's gone away today. 
And um, I don't know if you, uh, if, you, if you think about it, in certain cultures, people who were off, people who were considered crazy, were often considered possessed by a spirit, and therefore they were treated differently. There's a great uh, scene in one of the Hawkeye series, and when I say Hawkeye, I'm talking about Chinachkuk and the last of the Mohegans, uh, James Fenimore Cooper. We used to live over in that area near Cooperstown in Oneana, and uh, some of my favorite stories growing up of the leather stocking region. And there's a scene in one of the films made about that where a pastor, a, a preacher, who is also the schoolmaster in the frontier, is facing a tribe who is about perhaps to kill him. And in his fear, he starts singing a mighty fortress out loud, like he's nuts. And they all stop and look at him. Next thing you know, they won't touch him. In fact, they make one of their warriors carry him wherever they go. They have to take good care of him because he's, he's got a spirit. And you had to treat that properly. Well, this girl would be someone like that. And here she is uh, practicing divination. And they're following after Paul and us. She keeps crying out, verse 17, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you, Away, the way of salvation. It's argumentable. Argument, you can argue whether she said a way, as in multiples, which that generation would believe. The mystery religions were rife at the time. There were various ways to be saved, whatever that meant. We don't know. But once she used the phrase Most High God, it could be specifically referencing the God of the Bible or what the Greeks would consider, and this was a Greek city, a Roman colony, Zeus, the Most High God. Who knows? We don't know. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit held Paul in check for a few days, because I think some of you know the rest of the story. She continued doing this for many days. Finally, Paul was annoyed. Maybe exasperated is a good word. He'd had enough. But the Spirit finally gave him permission. We don't know why. Maybe there were other people that still need to be converted because you may know the rest of the story. Their ministry kind of gets cut short all of a sudden. Well, you'll see if you don't know the story. She's saying this. He says, I've had enough. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. When was the last time you saw that? I have to think about that. It's been a while. But when her masters, now everybody, of course, was thrilled. A demon-possessed girl just got delivered. This poor, disenfranchised, used by greedy people girl has just been freed up. Her, she's got a new lease on life. Yay! This ain't church, friends. Not in this story. When her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Wow. I'll make sure I don't do that. Look what happens to you. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. They're proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Now, can I fill you in? That's a lie. I mean, it's a lie on several 
counts. Number one, they're not causing confusion. They're actually straightening out some confusion, some of the enemy's confusion. But on top of everything, there were no laws against this. Well, there was probably a little bit of, um, you know, the local inspectors and bosses were in the pocket of some of these moneyed people. Um, these were uh, praetors, governors, uh, Roman uh, ex-military probably who were left in charge. Whenever Rome had a colony, some of their military were stationed there and then they would become leaders in the community. And so they were, if we call, the court system and the police force and what have you. And so they're there and they take action. The crowd, they let get a little bit out of control. I've read recently in the paper of some terrible things that have happened in our history where police stations have allowed mobs to do horrendous things. That's what happened. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Uh Uh-oh. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, by the way, I mentioned it was a Roman colony, and Roman colonies were to be kept under Roman law. And it was against the law to do what they just did. Okay, so... Paul and Silas, who were Roman citizens, were being abused and therefore had a legal case against these leaders. That comes out later. You can read it on your own. Now, verse 25. Paul and Silas, of course, were acting like every other Christian would. Oh, this is terrible. Golly, why did you let this happen to us? Or as my daughter once said in the heat of battle, I hate God. Sorry. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Anybody else read that and think, boy, I don't know how well I would have pulled this off. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. By the way, earthquakes were common there. So that's not really that big a deal. I know it's pr- the timing's pretty remarkable, don't you think? Uh, the timing is kind of a giveaway, but they were not uncommon. Ever been in an earthquake? Anybody? Yeah. If you've been in other places of the country, I remember I was spending the night with friends in San Diego one night. Do you remember that? She doesn't remember. It was too traumatic. <laughs> All of a sudden, the bed is shaking like this, and the house is creaking. And I'm casting out demons from my room. I'm like, what's going on here? (laughs) And the the wise Christian family that was hosting us said, did you feel the earthquake last night? Oh, that's what it was. (laughs) Okay. I felt a lot better about that earthquake. (laughs) It's really true. It freaked me out. I don't know what was going on. So there's an earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Oh, boy. Now, that was certainly an accident. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. You all get this, right? 
Remember a couple of weeks back, we looked at uh, Peter. Oh, last week, I mentioned that reference to the, je- the, the uh, guards that couldn't find Peter. Herod examines him, and then what? And he knew if these prisoners escaped on his charge, he was a dead man anyway. Which is why, not the earthquake as much as that. We'll get to that in a minute. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, Paul cried out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. What? And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. After that, he brought them out. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Is that a great question? What do I have to do? How do you get this thing that has changed your life? How come you're in prison singing songs? What is going on? Tell me about this. Well, the great thing about this story is this is the foundation of the Philippian church, which, by the way, was one of Paul's very favorite churches. Did you know that? There's several, but this was one of them. And imagine the new collection of converts. We're going to look at some of them today that made up this congregation. No wonder it was one of his favorites. And he writes things like this. Uh, first, that was easy for me to say. Philippians 1, 6 through 8. I'm confident of this very thing. He who began... A, anybody recognize that verse? He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I believe this because I saw the power of the grace of God get a hold of your lives. What an awesome story. It's only right for me to feel this way about you all. I have you in my heart. When I was in prison, and, in, and even now in prison again, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all were partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. If you take the time to read Philippians, it's only four chapters long. I memorized it once. I'm really out of practice. But at the end, he talks about more than once you've sent funds to take care of me and help me out. We're connected. We're joined at the hip. He loved this church. And not just that one. I mean, obviously, like God loves everyone. You know what I mean? But special bond connected with this group of people who become the foundation of that church that meets, as best as we know, in the house of Lydia. I'm sure she had a nice spread. So let's look at the encounters. I'm going to go through all of them. I want to start with the ones that we know the least about and work up to the one we know the most about, okay? And uh, this won't take more than an hour. No, actually, I'm worried. We're going to end so early. You guys are going to get spoiled and want it to end every week early. My wife's smiling, though, so I'm going to keep going. So let's start with the prisoners, okay? Who's the list I gave you? The incarcerated. We don't really know much. Obviously, in a circumstance like this, there would be people who are vile criminals in that place, right? Wouldn't you think, Ben, there'd probably be some vile criminals But you'd also have people who were put in jail on trumped-up charges, minor offenses, things, the silliest things that we would say today, horrible, unjust, like that never happens today. Yeah, it does. And so that's who would be there. And here's what we read, and it was one of the last verses we read. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. My title is Grace Abounding. Did you notice that there was an asterisk? 
Does anybody know where that title comes from? Somebody must. You must know. You read everything. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners. That's the full title. It is the um, autobiography written from prison of John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Exactly. His autobiography. He's in prison giving glory to God, grace abounding to the chief of sinners. How can he claim that? Paul already claimed it. See, so every time I talk like that, I have to say the second to the last, you know, chief of sinners. Second in command of sinful. That's me. Because Paul, anyway, you guys just don't get it. Anyway, so you get the story. The prisoners were listening to them. There's more. Paul cries out when the man who is the jailer is about to slit his own throat or stab himself in the chest, come and fall on your sword. That's an expression. Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Um, the ex-corrections uh, officer is leaving the room right when I need him. If all the chains and doors opened at your prison, would they all be sitting there waiting for tomorrow? Thank you for that answer. We have it from the official department. <laughs> You're not going to get over it. Okay, now you can go. Anyway, <laughs> are you getting the picture? There is some kind of influence of common grace even on these prisoners. They're in a stunned place. Who are these people that are singing praises? Look what just happened. Yikes. And somehow Paul must have said when anybody started to make a run for it, don't do that. I'm going to tell you that I think when this, um, when this uh, jailer gets converted, the biggest shock was that. More than the earthquake. Don't do yourself any harm. But there is an effect that Christians have on non-Christians, whether they are converted or not, if you're really shining for Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew chapter 5. Anybody recognize this? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, how will it be made salty again? Second Thessalonians, I'm not showing you this verse, it's debatable. In Second Thessalonians 2, 7, there's a verse that talks about in the end time, the evil one will be restrained by someone in the world. And it's arguable that that's the church. We don't know it. I'm not going to tell you to put your life on the line over that, but I think it could be. The church helps restrain evil. The saltiness of the church, no, that's wrong. I'm sorry, I can't agree with you that there's a salty effect in the world. I, I, I'm disappointed at times that Christians get such bad press because whether you're aware of it or not, Christians are the ones who moved in the front lines on the anti-slavery movement, anti-infanticide movement, all of those things in the history of civilization. It was believers that took the forefront, but they get discounted. There was a man named Tappan. Does that ring a bell? Used to be a nice bridge name. Anyway, Tappan. No comment. 
thank you. Sometimes justice does happen. Anyway, back on task, everybody. Uh, Mr. Tappan was anti-slavery in the 1800s in New York City. The rabble burned his house down for his position. Oh, we'll get to some of that in a second. Anyway, I remember in Tucson, my wife and I, right next door, had a hardcore biker dude living in the house next door. He came over to see our new baby. We just loved on this family. Don't know where we all ended up. We're hopeful about some things, but I'll never forget Charlie holding, was a Stacy, wasn't it? Bouncing her on his knee. Oh, look at this, Fred John. I love you, man. I love you. I love you, man. And his gun is sitting right here in his thing, you know. And I said to my wife, did you see the gat he had under his? And she was, what? You know, it's like, oh, rough character. He saved my life. I had an idiot trying to hit me with a baseball bat and kill me in my front yard, and this guy interposed himself, and boy, you wouldn't want him interposing with you, and saved my life. He loved us. There was an influence that the gospel has, grace abounding. He made a profession. I'm hoping I see him when I get there. Don't know. He got shot dead in the street. Grace is abounding. We're resistant, but God is shoving grace toward us continually. Next, the establishment, the capitalists. Oh, get over it, would you please? Okay, chapter, uh, let's see, the verses 16, 19 through 21. When her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, bottom line, I looked it up just to be sure I didn't quote it wrong. Voltaire, the great critic of Christianity, said, when it is a question of money, everybody is of the same religion. Ouch. John said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. When you go against the grain... So they saw their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them before the magistrates, said a lie about them, and then the magistrates allowed the law to be set aside to abuse two Roman citizens who should not have been treated like that. In fact, there was Valerian law in the Roman Empire that no Roman citizen should be degraded. You might have to be punished, but not degraded. And they were. So the world was a little bit out of control, a little bit of mob violence. How many of you remember this great uh, Dr. Phil's um, uh, Christian version by Scazzaro emotionally? I brought it so I can read the title and get it right this time. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I'm going to refrain from comments. but Yeah, thank you, dear. But simply... There was an interesting section, I'll bet, that anybody who read it probably blew past this, about the beast in the book of Revelation. Very short couple of pages, the beast in the book of Revelation. So let me uh, maybe highlight it so that we understand. A, uh, A New Testament scholar, 
wrote that the Roman culture, economy, education, military might brought great wealth and peace to the empire. People were excited about Roman rule. Rome proclaimed herself the eternal city, offering security and possibilities of dazzling wealth. The whole world envied her prosperity and affluence. The apostle John wrote, the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? And his point is, it's the world system and the financial power of it that takes us captive. And so the beast today, according to Scazzaro, and frankly, I think he's right. You can disagree. Have nice little, you know, little charts about the future. Personally, I think we're living in it. Therefore, it is essential that we see clearly how the beast threatens the church and absorbs Christians in our day. As Oz Guinness wrote, due to the combination of capitalism, technology, and modern communications, the most powerful civilization ever, a global culture has been formed. This global culture is the beast that threatens to swallow us in these days. The core values of the beast in the 21st century scream at us from computers, billboards, televisions, DVDs, music, schools, newspapers, magazines, iPods. The beast tells us happiness is found in having things. You should get all you can for yourself as quickly as you can. Security is found in money, power, status, and good health or body worship. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Above all, you should seek all the pleasure, convenience, and comfort you can. And he goes on. God is irrelevant to everyday life. Christianity is just one of many alternative spiritualities. There are no moral absolutes. Whatever is true for you is what is true. You're not responsible for anyone but yourself, and this life on earth is all there is. Sounds like where we're living. And Christians get sucked in. Don't tell me they don't. Years ago, I remember having a dialogue with a person who ran a business, a very, very prosperous business. And when I was having the conversation, it was very clear. Oh, oh, oh. Uh-uh. Keep your... No, no, pastor. That's business. That's business. Really? Let me show you a parallel story to this one of this girl getting delivered. We don't know exactly where she ended up, but we're hopeful she became a follower, don't you think? Wouldn't that be a great member to have in your Philippian church at Lydia's house? Tell us what it was like to hear all those voices in your head. Anybody remember uh, the demon-possessed guy in Mark chapter 5? You do. Legion. Everybody with me this morning? Hello? Okay, just checking. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind. There's a statement. Every man who had the, the very man who had the legion, and they were like thrilled and excited and couldn't wait to hear more. Yeah. Those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man, all about the swine, and they began to entreat him to depart from their region. Get lost, Jesus. See, we, we, we go, man, if we saw that miracle, we'd be like, whoa! But Paula Dean took a real hit that morning. 3,000 pounds, how many pigs went? That was a lot of bacon, friends, you know, and gone. 
So, hey, this is costing... First of all, you make us nervous, and second of all, you're costing us money. Get out! It was no different in Philippi when Paul and Silas get arrested. So that was them. Let's talk about the oppressed, the trafficking, the person who was mad. I already gave you a little bit of description of that. Uh, It's not just business, right? And she continued doing this for many days. This is the girl when she, before she gets delivered. Paul was greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. We don't know exactly what happened next because there was too much newsworthy drama when Paul and Silas get beat on and thrown in jail. But that girl is out there somewhere. Like I said, we're hopeful that she made a profession of faith, that she followed perhaps in the footsteps of the man that we just looked at a second ago. I'm going to show you his story in just a, just a second. She could have said, you just ruined my life. I had this power and now it's gone. I'm really mad at you. But I don't think so. It was a tormenting existence. And for those of you who have ever interacted with people who have been oppressed, uh, I've, had, I've had people come to me and say, I thought I was going to have to be, uh, yeah, institutionalized. And by the authority of the name of Jesus, the voices stopped. Now, if you think that I'm crazy, well, you're probably not the only one. But I'm telling you, the Bible says this is true. And it does exist today. It's just better disguised in our very sophisticated culture. But here's what happened to the other man. You might remember this in Mark chapter 5. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And this man obeyed. I think he got it. What do you think? And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, the city area, multiple towns, what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Yeah, baby. People do marvel when that kind of thing happens. I think in Philippi, people marvel. That was the crazy girl. That was the one who had the spirit, the pythos, that spirit of divination that helped her tell the future to people, make money, Madame Zudu's uh, little crystal ball thing. Gone. I'm hopeful that she was freed up and happy to be so. Now let's look at the peacekeeper. I already told you, I think it was the attention-getting experience that got his attention. There are people that God needs to abound in his grace by shocking them. Anybody here know what I mean? I know people that have been shocked into the kingdom. God doesn't need your help, by the way. You don't need to purposely shock people. Some of you might, but he doesn't. I don't know if I should even say the one. I always, I cannot ever, when I think about the grace of God reaching down, grace abounding to the chief of sinners, grabbing a hold of people out of the blue. I felt like that happened to me, but there was no huge shock. It was all internal. But here's what happened. 
He called for lights. This is the, the jailer. When the doors were all open, holy mackerel. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. What? He rushed in, trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas after he had brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Anybody know the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your house. Let everybody do the same. And they all did. Great story, right? So he comes to faith. This was shock therapy. It was not just the earthquake. It was the fact that all of those prisoners hadn't run away on him. Who are you people? Why would you work to my advantage to protect me when we just abused you? The magistrates broke the law, had you roughed up, and then I throw you in jail. And trust me, he didn't throw me. Oh, does that feel comfortable? Is he like that's not how it worked back then? It wasn't like my, no, never mind. Got to have TV and coffee. No, none of that. This is similar to other accounts in the scripture where our attention has gotten in a radical way. Um, anybody remember we did a series on encounters about Jesus' life? Anybody remember that? It's like last summer. Come on, you couldn't have forgotten already. There was a woman at the well. Do you remember her? Shock. That was shock treatment. It wasn't, oh, I'm telling you about the good news and, you know, I'm the Messiah. And she goes, oh, that's so wonderful. And her heart changed. No. He tells her what she's been up to and she tries to change the subject. Go call your husband. Nah, maybe not. Here's what the scripture says. She gets converted. The woman left her. She's in shock. She, the reason she was at the well, she forgets about it. And went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? <coughs> they went out of the city and they were coming to him, right? People were like, what? This is shock. She is transformed. Everybody knew this woman and her reputation. And when she came in and said this, they're like, wait a minute. Thankfully, their response was different than the Gadarenes. Oh, get lost. You're messing with our lifestyle here. Not in this case. They knew they needed help, and so they came. <sighs> Anybody watching The Chosen? So I know I'm quoting two films that uh, it, you may have not had the privilege of seeing, but they portray Matthew, the tax gatherer as someone a little on the spectrum, but very brilliant. And he's watching the miracle where Jesus fills Peter's boat to overflowing. And he's like, you can see his brain trying to do the math. This is impossible. This, this is impossible. I saw the whole thing. I haven't been drinking, trust me. I just... just the carpet grabbed my shoe, I'm telling you. <laughs> Just reached right up and grabbed me. Anyhow. Help me, Lord. But do you, if you saw, it's really well done. He's like captivated because he knows what he saw. And it was shocking. 
and he becomes a follower. When Jesus finally goes by and says, why don't you come follow me? He closes up shop and leaves. He goes against the world system that is pressing you to suck up, worship money, and whatever else is involved. And he follows him. You know, there's something about peacekeepers or ex-military, etc. My friend who discipled me for a little bit when I was in seminary, Ed Quinn, he's probably with the Lord now, I don't know, who was a New York City policeman for seven years, who, because of his transformational faith in Jesus Christ, treated every perpetrator on the street that he had to deal with with as much respect as he knew how to do and got people's attention. And I believe this man that we read about was like that, became a foundational part of that assembly there in the book of Acts about Philippi. Last one, the entrepreneur, Lydia, the house church lady, the one who opened her home up, the first convert in Europe, the first Christian convert in history, right? In Europe, in Europe. She's the first one. And let's read her story again, if I might. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, purple city, purple dye country, By the way, here it is. You've been dying to know. Well, not. You've been mildly interested, maybe slightly, barely interested. Uh, I was asked, did you get this in Kenya? No, I actually got it in in, uh, Senegal. We had been there twice, then South Africa, and then finally Kenya. But all over the country, all over the uh, continent of Af- Africa, you have different tribes, and they are marked often by their dye patterns. And this is a particular one, and unfortunately, I never got the name. Because when you go to the local market, they'll sell them from everywhere, and it doesn't matter, so you just pick what you like. So I liked it, so I picked it. You don't have to like it. I liked it. There it is. So here's this woman who's known for her business. It's a very lucrative and a very expensive purple dye, by the way. She's a worshiper of God. She's open. She's listening. And here's this phenomenal line. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So how much time did she have to prove that she was faithful to the Lord? Well, obviously, there had to be a change. And she was busy right away serving, loving the saints, doing what was necessary, and wanted to help Paul and Silas on their missionary journey. And she had the means to do it. The Lord opened her heart. Does anybody have that great evangelistic memory verse to trust in your salvation in the scripture from Ephesians 2, 8, 9? Anybody have that memorized? For by grace you have been saved through and that not of yourselves. You didn't drum up your faith. That not of yourselves. Not a result of works, lest anyone should boast, right? Here's what Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. 
No one can come to me unless the Father... There is a working of the Spirit that softens our thick head to recognize I desperately need the grace of God to work in my life. I need it. One day I saw it. I can tell you when I saw it, it wasn't because I was doing anything particularly good, unless you want to count watching TV, which had Billy Graham on it three nights in a row as a good deed that earns brownie points with God, but it doesn't. Suddenly, and I don't even remember what he was saying, the light came on. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And brothers and sisters, if you came out of a reform background, you would know that the proper response to that reality is intense humility and gratitude that God mercifully showed mercy to me so that I could understand and become rescued for eternity. Instead, we like to argue and complain about how rotten God is. How come? How come me? I don't know. Do you know why? One of the great hymns we sing, why should he interpose his blood for us? I cannot give an answer. I cannot give an answer. But I'll tell you what, when I'm in my right mind, I am grateful that he has chosen to give us life eternal. But more than we realize, grace is abounding to all manner of people. All the time, all manner of people. Look at our list. The incarcerated, the establishment, the oppressed, the peacekeeper, the entrepreneur, everybody. What, what category do you see around you that you go, there's no way God's going to reach that person? Really? You're sure about that? Or which one of those categories do you see yourself in? But don't realize, perhaps, grace is abounding toward you as well. Because it is. And the right response is gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, today we, uh, we looked at five categories of encounter, some which didn't end up too well. Some who have chosen their form of God, their version, set themselves against your servants. But others, Lord, you either open their heart or you shock them into reality. And thank you that you've done that for so many of us. And Lord, I'm praying for some of us as saints. Thank you for those who obviously have a quickened spirit because grace abounding has done its work. But I also know that there are those who have hardened their spirit to the grace that is abounding toward them. And don't even see how far afield, how off the reservation they often are. Would you help us? We need grace abounding. We need it to help us. We need your church to be aided by that grace abounding so that we can see people rescued from all of those strange categories or those categories that we're very familiar with, that we might see some fruit born with new life because of grace abounding in us, through us, and into others and through them. Lord, that's the future. If there is a future for this assembly, that's it. We cast ourselves on your mercy. We pray, Father, for the help of your Holy Spirit today. And Lord, I say this every, uh, or I shouldn't say every time, but often. Lord, if your Holy Spirit is speaking to a person, would you give them the courage 
to nail down the issue with you even today. In the name of Jesus, we pray for your help. And all of God's people said, amen.